Hello, everybody. It's your old friends on Money Madness, and welcome to a special Christmas edition of the That Was The Good Football Podcast. Woo! Ho, ho, I'm ho! Jo- I'm joined as ever by uh, Jonathan, joining as ever by Neil. Hang on, you're not Neil. No, you I'm fucking you are- not yet, cabbage. Hang on, you're actually awake for this. Uh, just about. Let's see how long that lasts. Like, sleeping behind the curtain here, folks, we're actually starting like two or three hours earlier than we normally do. So that should tell you how that Burkbot is here. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, literally yeah. catching her at our golden hour. This is ridiculous. By the end of this podcast, it will be my sleepy times and I will be gone. Yes, that's why that, that's why we're sticking to the 90 minutes, folks, because literally if you go two hours, then we're just going to hear snoring on the on the Zoom call. And it's just not going to be a, it's not conducive that's to a good gonna podcast. It's going to edit a nightmare for you. Not particularly. Have to I don't, do some edits. As I was to say, yeah, don't bother editing this anymore. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, Neil will be jumping in shortly as well, and he's doing very important dad things. So uh, he'll be he'll be with us shortly to give out about football, which is pretty much what we're going to be doing for the next ninety minutes anyway. Because um, it is Christmas, and uh, as it was, it wasn't really like the case last year, but the Christmas we were promised last year with you know the plague and COVID and all this sort of stuff is actually happening. There's um there's you know, games falling left, right, and center like hamstrings at a at a bad time. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's it's all going good. And um, Burford, it has been a very long time since you've been on this podcast. Uh, have you any thoughts on the uh, the status of football as it is right now? Um, before we get stuck I, in, I have What's many thoughts. I have many thoughts, uh, mostly incoherent ones. Um, Fair point. <laughs> that is often the case, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, uh, it is, from an Arsenal point of view, it has been really weird. Yes. Um, and I know that kind of can, that the same can be said for a lot of different clubs um, at the minute. Like, I think this whole COVID thing is affecting clubs more than they're letting on. Not necessarily mm. cases-wise, but, like, if players are feeling under the weather whether it's COVID or whatnot, like I, there's some weird performances that I don't know how else it could be kind of um, explained. explained. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, I, so as I said, as an Arsenal supporter, I, I mixed, mixed emotions this last few weeks. Like we had absolutely horrendous losses to Man United, losses to Everton, which were games that, we absolutely should have won. Like, not even mm-hmm. drawn. We're like, we're unlucky to have, con- you know, they were just abject performances with a deserved loss mm-hmm. uh, for each of those games. Then to bounce back with some of the best football and perform. Now, I know again, against Southampton, we're playing against Southampton. Like, they, they're yeah. very hit and miss. And in this case, they were very miss. And mm-hmm. we did. Uh, fantastically well against them though at the same time um, and then but then the performance against West Ham the most recent performance as of recording that just put so much joy into my heart it was an amazing like it was such a fun game of football it was Arsenal mm. playing great football and that's on the back of one of the off-field most turbulent parts of our season where our fucking captain has been stripped of his captaincy and the vice captain who's the captain's best friend in the team has been given the captaincy and <laughs> that must be a tough situation for him to be in yeah um but it doesn't seem like i would have thought this would have been absolute capitulation of our um uh, of our season um yeah. at this point but thankfully 
as of recording, we're still going okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do a quick uh, rundown of the table and see ju- what kind ju- of Just before you do that, yeah. Um, on the women's side as well, we're playing some yes. uh, in the league, league form. We're four points clear at Chelsea. Um, mm. Absolutely bossing it. But in our, we got absolutely mauled by Chelsea in the FA Cup final. Yeah. And we got mauled by Barcelona. And we've gotten mauled by Hoffenheim. They're three <laughs> big teams that we've absolutely like just been rubbish at. But at the same time, men play brilliant football in the league. And it is uh, just, yeah, the roller coaster of emotions has been exhausting so far. And I like, you know, it, the amount of ups and downs I've had. Mm. For, and we're only halfway through December. <laughs> like, it's just, like, there's so much more to come. It is. It, it's 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 one of those seasons where like it feels like every match day feels like a week, and it's only been like three days. Yeah. You know, we're like we're in this kind of weird phase where they try and get a lot of football done in December for just like you know like for reasons unbeknownst to everyone else. I mean, I guess you know the the World Cup and Cup of Nations and protracted Euros, all this sort of stuff, all piles in after a while. But like, I suppose from from, from your sense, like it's. Arsenal can be weird where like they you you think they could get a run of games to to get some form up, but Arsenal are like the most unformed team in that sense, where like they will win one game and then lose the other. Um just consistency is never there. But you, but that being said, you can set up a lot of teams in the Premier League right now. Like even if you look at form guides, there's like only two teams that are actually consistent. You know, the rest of them are kind of uh have an issue of some kind or a problem. Uh you know, um, even look at the uh, even look at the league table. Like, so I was talking about those two teams being Man City, and Liverpool. So we'll get onto that, I'm sure, in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But Chelsea have already kind of dropped off a little bit now. Granted, injuries have been an issue, form has been an issue, and COVID is now an issue because it is for every club now in the league. And yeah. um, quite literally, coming down to squad depth, this is like, um, how many young players have we got in the squads? And um, Arsenal are current for, currently fourth in the league with a goal difference of one, one. which is uh. Ruthlessly efficient uh, or economic <laughs> uh, by Arteta. Arteta ball there. We waste nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, West Ham are like a point behind, obviously, with a, with a, with a win Arsenal leapfrog them. Man United, the revolution of Ralph Ragnick getting Ronaldo to run, you fatty. Um, yeah, that's going to work out really well. Um, Spurs haven't played in, the mo- in like what feels like a month. Uh, <laughs> they've they've, uh, they've had one match postponed and then two uh, like call off for COVID. So they uh, are back in swing of things this weekend against us, which should go well. Um, so they're like, got, what, three games in hand? So they're sitting seventh. Wolves are like weirdly doing okay in a sense where they have like literally seven wins and seven losses. It's a very... <laughs> they, like, yeah, talk about economic. Fucking sure. Like they've only scored like 13 goals a season. I think they're like one of the second lowest goals, like scorers in the league and they're eighth. That's that's efficiency. And... Um, uh, Leicester uh, are starting to catch on to themselves a little bit as well, but again, very weird team at the minute. Uh, Aston Villa tenth after like being like in the drop zone, and um, like literally a month ago, like so, like Stephen Gerrard really doing wonders there. Palace steady, Brentford, Brighton, Brighton have been disastrous for the last while, and um, even though they're top four recently, Everton we will be having a conversation on, I'm sure. Uh, then we have this, I guess, the relegation scrap is Southampton, Leeds, and Watford, um, teetering with Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich in the drop zone. So it's all a bit kind of like very tight and compacted down the back of the back of the, of the league table. 
But um, I suppose at the top then it is kind of still presumed to be a three-horse race um, uh, where like both Man City and Chelsea are both, I think all three of them are all deciding who has the best defence and they all kind of change each week. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, like Chelsea were like, uh, I think on a run of like four goals in conceded in like what, 12 games and then suddenly calamity, calamity, calamity. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah, very, like Mendy very weird. was looking like the best keeper season and mm. it's not necessarily like he's been making mistakes it's just been like they've been really weird goals to concede yeah like, like it's, from from, yeah. from what they looked at the start of the season they've just looked like very sloppy Mendy yeah. making a couple of weird decisions at the start of the season you're like whoa that's a weird decision but it's kind of worked that's you know good mm. for him whereas now it's like oh no why 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 would you come out that quickly what and the weird thing again for Chelsea is the goals have dried up again, which is very bizarre to think because, like, I mean, Lukaku was meant to be the answer to those problems, and just the same thing has happened again, you know, with with, with between him and Werner, and um, with and again, like a, a team like Chelsea shouldn't have these issues. Like they have more than enough firepower. I think it's also like tactically a lot of it is just down to the strikers like converting chances, and. Um, but it's just not happening for them. Like you're actually relying on the likes of a Jorginho penalty or a goal from centre backs, you know, to yeah. actually get somewhere. Which is again, it should not be for for a team of Chelsea's quality. But I'm sure Chelsea fans would say that themselves. In fairness, and um, so yeah, it, it is kind of weird to see them wobbling because, like, I remember the last time we did the podcast, they were top of the table, and we're just there going like, like I can't see anyone beating this team. Just defensively, they're so good. Whereas with Liverpool and City. There's natural chinks in the armor with the way they function, but then suddenly Chelsea just have these very have, having very strange wobbles, like dropping points. I think the Leeds having like one or two losses in the Champions League as well doesn't help matters in that sense. But uh, yeah, very unnatural for Chelsea to to slip this quickly. But um, especially when they still had to do the Club World Cup in February as well, so like their season is still going to get worse. Your uh, your head head headphones have gone a bit weird there, bro. I can't quite hear you. Oh, sorry. There you go. Um, a, the yeah, they still got a couple of games, like you know, more than other teams to keep going. Um, mm. but they like like that. The Chelsea kind of squad depth shouldn't cause that to be allow that to be a factor. Like they no. are Chelsea, they have unlimited oil. Sorry, funds and. They can, you know, just replace one amazing player with another amazing player, um. But yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not expecting their their dip and their kind of weird form to kind of continue. I do think this is, like I said, there's something in the waters kind of going on at the minute across, like with the with with COVID or whether it is COVID yeah. or whether there's something else. I feel like this is just going to be like a weird dip, and then they'll be back, and we'll be like. You know, yeah. two weeks two weeks from now, going. Why did we think this was it for them? I I, I feel that I think every club is going to have that though, because like I say, you can you can actively see it happening real time for the likes of Brighton, for example, who started off so well and then like haven't won a game in eleven, which is a ridiculous yeah. run. You know, but that's I think that's just the the way a lot of those teams are like at the moment. It's just a, a lot of it is down to for the confidence and moat and like morale, I guess, because again, they're probably still living in pods and trying to like be relatively normal and then being told, oh no, that's too normal. You're, you're bringing the virus in. You know, it's like, well, what, what would you, what would you rather lads? You know, pick a, pick a side like. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and even look at even looking at teams like where you're you're expecting them to have done really well this season, like so Leicester and. Like, I remember watching that Leicester a couple of times, even the last few weeks, and being like, I don't understand this team. Like, this team has not changed since last year, but they're playing such tedious football. And they're like, you could get them, you could like easily score two or three goals in them in like the first half. And, um, like, well, like what Arsenal there. did. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can completely bombard them. And, like, they're completely like at, at sea then. But they only start playing like like in the second half. It's very bizarre. Like Bardi, Bardi, I think is the, is their issue is that they're so over reliant reliant on him and his pace and mm. uh, like he hasn't been featuring in every match this season. Um, like and I do like I know there's probably a bit of man management in that kind of like uh you know you he's a bit older. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's yeah like that. They they play different football from last season and it's worse football you know usually when a team tries to change tactics you know to improve something but i don't see in any way like defensively they're more frail attacking they're like more blunt uh, and yeah. the midfield is just chaotic but last year's chaoticness was kind of to their advantage now it's mm. like because they knew what they were doing but to other teams trying to combat it they you know they didn't really know how to do it whereas this season it just seems like there's like in that arsenal game now in the granted in the second half they kind of clicked into gear yeah and it wasn't it, if it wasn't for rambo dale having like the game of his life and the saves of his life like they were like all over us in the second half but like in the first half absolutely at sea mm. um i think they are they they had like that free kick that was their best chance that that free kick that rambo saved mm. um uh, but yeah, like they, they, they I, I'm just, I haven't watched them since. I've seen highlight clips of them since, yeah. but I haven't seen um, like a proper sat down and watched them play because I actually find them really boring to watch because yeah. there's like I would like I had the choice like a few weeks ago between watching was it Spurs Leicester or no no because Spurs Leicester was called off um, yeah Chelsea Leicester perhaps it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it could have been that one or like an Aston Villa game. And I was like, fuck it, I'll throw on the Aston Villa. Because at least they, there's a bit of something to them. There's a bit mm. of like pace, there's a bit of movement, there's a bit of something to them. Um, there's a chance of seeing Emmy Martinez be good. Is he though? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah he's still good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's just Brendan Rogers. did he get distracted by the idea of going to Man United? Uh, is you know, is, did his head mm. get turned by a different club? You know, that's what, what I was thinking there. That maybe his he's lost uh focus with his squad because his head's been turned by some other pretty club looking for help. In fairness, it's happened before. Like, I mean, Celtic are still not quite happy with him about how everything kind of got a little bit phoned in once when when the likes of Leicester and they were two clubs at the time, I think it could have been Spurs, were coming or looking knocking for a new manager yeah. back then. And yeah, he, he does have form in that um, in that regard. I think like Rogers' problem has always been over complication. Like if there's an issue with the squad, he like he'll keep like tactically changing things until something works. And to a, to a certain extent, that does actually work. But it, it only works once or twice. It doesn't work like five or six thousand times like he wanted to. So like I've noticed with Leicester, they run a back three now. And I'm thinking like, oh, Leicester are not a back three side. <laughs> like their strengths are not in defenders now. In fairness, I know why they're doing it is because Fofana is injured. Yeah. And last year, they got away with Fofana and Soyuncu. 
Whereas now you need Evans and Amarte with Soyuncu. And I, I do get yeah. that. I do understand yeah. that. Um, especially now when you don't have the, the width that you want wide. But even the likes of like not getting the, the, the best out of Madison has been bizarre. Now he is back in the squad now. Maybe it was like a kind of an injury problem as well. But then like get get more out of Pat and Daka because every time I see him, he's a fucking specimen. I feel like I talk about I, him every I, single I, podcast. I, he's a I, I know. Like I've literally... I, I remember that match that I did turn on and turn off because it was real boring. I think it might have been the Chelsea game. I, I was watching it to see this DACA guy that you've hyped up for me mm. so much. And I was like, yeah. Ewa. <laughs> yeah, he just, I've not got the best out of him, but yet he's a world beater on his day. Like, I remember, yeah. I'm, I'm even reminded of the goal of, I think, a Europa League game where he scored four in like 15 minutes because that is how good he can be. But the fact that, like, you do actually have to give him the space and time to do it. He's like, it's going to be very, very, very strange comparison, but he's play, he plays very similar to Divock Origi in a sense where, like, Origi doesn't necessarily have to have a tactical position. He just needs to be in the right place to, to, to score goals. And that's, like, his great skill is just being in the right place at the right time. And it's a skill that you can't really teach. It's an inst- it's instinctive. In the same way, like, Haaland scored great goals from being in the right place. Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo. It is a, it's a poacher's instinct. Yeah. And Daka has that but he's also six foot three and has like fuck, like runs like a sprinter so like that is a terrifying prospect once he gets going i think it's all he's probably basically like he's great like greased up oil arms triore uh but with a finish yeah a little bit like if you if you take away a little bit of damage speed but add some finishing that's kind of how daka would 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 play um, but like I said, he's just it, like again. This is his first year in the Premier League. It's a big st- like step up from the Austrian league, where like again, it's Red Bull Salzburg and ten other t- other teams. So you know, it is, it is a bit of a jump. Um, but like I, I think he will he will come good in the end. I think it's the fact that like he still has to play second fiddle to Vardy and Iannaccio. You're not quite yeah. getting the, the best out of him. Um, I will say one thing, like because um, I'm even just looking at the table now and like getting the best out of people is on my mind. I am absolutely loving the Aston Villa team right now. Um, and I'm saying that because we, we played them over the weekend at Anfield. So again, it was traditional. I had to like tune to see how Steven Gerrard sets up his team. Yeah. And again, and, and I, I was even saying to Neil, like on the past podcasts, intrigued by how, like how they're going to set up because the way like, like Ranger set up was like a, a way to get, to keep them unbeaten for the entire season. Um, and, uh, yeah, like this Aston Villa side is good. Like it's it's in very very safe hands, I think. Um, because like we only beat them one nil, and it wasn't a case of like we were bad. They were really goddamn good. Yeah, you know? no, I I I know. Um, he Gerard's kind of style has been kind of, um, it's been praised, and like the kind of mainstream yeah. media, like we're looking for ways to poke holes in it because you know it's Stephen Gerrard returning back to the Premier League and not at Liverpool, and they're trying to mm. hype it up. And obviously, having a match against Liverpool so early into his career is such a twist of fate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I can't say I noticed too much difference between them, to be honest myself. But um. Like I think they've been unlucky just to lose out like by one or two goals in the last um 
like in the last couple of matches under Gerard, they haven't got yeah. the results, but they've got the performances. Um, and that was kind of the same with was it Dean Smith? Is that his this, name? Dean Smith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think that was the same. So I do think it's a bit unfortunate on Dean Smith's side that he uh, got the sack for getting the exact same. He basically got the sack for not being Gerard, really, uh, by the looks of things. I think the issue with Dean Smith was I don't think he was using the toys that Villa had bought for him. I think that was the issue because I noticed the big difference was, again, another like manager who made a very weird decision of switching to a back three, thinking it would be more solid. And, yeah, fair enough. Again, you're trying to like change, uh, adapt a team to suit a Grealish less system. But you, your team has just spent $30 million on Emi Buendia and he's sitting on the bench. Yeah. And your team has spent like more or less the same money on Danny Ings and he's sitting on the bench. You need to use these players. Um, pretty, pretty fucking simple. And the and the gas thing is, again, uh, the system that Gerard employs is this like kind of like almost like a, a it's is it technically a four tree tree, but it doesn't, it's a narrow four tree tree. So yeah. like two of those trees don't play white, they play as number tens. And it's a and when you see it kind of in playing, like the, it's it's more of a a defensive attitude to a 4 3 tree. It's to keep possession, it's to keep the ball away from people. But it's also the fact that like you're able to trap people in midfield. And like if he can if he's able to get someone like Watkins to play in that role in like an inside channel and have Ings up front, then you can see why the Aston Villa hierarchy are going, oh my God, that makes complete fucking sense. Because <laughs> they have the defensive midfielders to do it and they have the, the, the likes of the Gin and the, and the Canva to run. So it's like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. And when you yeah. see it you now in action, it is a fucking no-brainer because you don't necessarily... I didn't necessarily see it in the Liverpool game with the front three. I saw it more so with the defenders because, again, you have Mings and Konza who were great at centre-back center partnership. Um, but really the key part was the wing-backs because they have like the entire freedom of that side. And when you look at like Target and Cash, they are like ideal Stephen Gerrard players. You know, they are like completely like... Um, you know, like warriors in that sense. And they'll keep like full pelt, keep going, whatever it is. Um, and it's certainly they 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 will play very well for him. And again as well, you know, they're 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 yeah, the yeah. kind of like they're, dogs they're, he wants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're like real dogged players. I would agree yeah. with that. And like, yeah, no, I they're not the worst team to watch. Um they're not the um I don't have the same affinity for Steven Gerrard that you do, you know, so I'm you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm looking at this with non-rose tinted glasses, I suppose, mm. and just kind of, uh, with no expectations. I'm just kind of interested to see how it plans out. The same way I would be with any kind of team that could be challenging for top, you know, six places with us. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's been interesting. Uh, definitely, um, I agree with your points with the wing backs because that was where they purposely targeted with us last season when we played yeah. them um it's just using those wing backs but they definitely have a bit more oomph to them now so yeah it'll be interesting to see um if the momentum of having the new manager sticks with them and they actually get the results that they their play has deserved yeah i, I think they are like it's um you can definitely see the upturn in form since he took over and it could be just a simple case of like playing with all the all the fun toys and putting them in a system that makes sense yeah and um, because like I said, sometimes that is a ball that makes a difference. I think he does need one big win, though. Like, if he takes a point off, say, if he takes, like, a, a big scalp like your Chelsea or Man United, that's when you know, oh, this team is serious. 
mm. and it'd be a case of like I do not want to face Aston Villa <laughs> like they'd be the one like in that league it was like oh fuck no nah, fuck they've Villa. been a bogey team for us before um, yeah uh, yeah don't want to repeat that no that is totally fair um, speaking of bogey teams um, mm. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Everton um, <laughs> wow like they were a very close shout for my cod this 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 week um, because they are a absolute shambles. And the only gas thing is, like, Rafa isn't even part of that shambles. It's everything around them falling apart. <laughs> even their really women's is. team. Yeah, yeah. The whole club, everything about them is, is, is a shambles. And the gas thing is, this happens nearly every three years. <laughs> this is an annual event now. Like, I, feel like, I feel like this is a regular conversation we have is why is Everton? And like, Jesus Christ, why is Everton? You know, mm. it, it just, yeah, like uh, just on the women's point, like they sacked their manager, Willie, um, Willie Kirk, um, yes. last month. And they brought in Jean-Luc Fasser from, was it PSG or Lyon? One of them. Like, so obviously uh, yeah, they're bringing it, they're bringing in a huge, huge club manager in the women's game. And like that, there has just been shambles after shambles with the team like losing like bat, like Leicester nearly promoted Leicester giving them an absolute like headache now, they ended up getting the win but like it was only scraped by um, mm. so yeah no uh, just they were the ones who looking at their like like summer spending and their buys and they completely overhauled the team Um to try and push for top three, which is, you know, the Champions League qualities in the women's game. And absolutely, like, uh, I was, like, looking at that on paper, they're going to push Man City out the top three. Everton are going to be up there, like, or, like, there or thereabouts, you know, maybe after a season of this. They've been shambolic. They have Mm. been absolutely pathetic. And it it pains me to say because they were one of the big teams in England uh, up until a few years ago. And they're in ninth. They're in ninth (laughs) position after changing managers. So, like, the managers come in and shored up the defence a bit. But, like, you've got attacking talent in that team that should not just be you know looking to improve the defense and i think the same can be said for the men's team as well like i know they've got injuries like calvert lewin is out and now they've kind of been struck by all the other injuries um, and which is just so unfortunate and then is it their training ground is there something happening that because like the everton women's team are kind of being plagued by um niggles that aren't going away um, mm. like ankle injuries that just haven't healed, calf injuries, like muscle strains, and then yeah, the men's team like hamstrings and calves just snapping off left, right, and center. So yeah, yeah it's just um, again, Everton, like <laughs> we were that <laughs> breath of life to them. Um, <laughs> after it was a ten defeats in a row or something ridiculous. Ten winless games, yeah. Ten winless games. And then, of course, we were like, ah, sorry, guys. Here, have one on us. Uh, Damari Gray with this fucking wonder shot mm. out of nowhere. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, look, here, we've given you the breath of life. Kickstart your season. 
this is going to be, you know, like the, the fairy tale ending that so often happens after a team plays Arsenal, um, mm. where, you know, that gives them that boost to keep going. Uh, no, no, they actually just went re- reverted back to being absolute dog shit. Yeah, um, totally. They are a team that it's a load of individuals who happen to have the same jersey on. Like that, yeah. I don't see any team cohesion there. I did a bit in the Arsenal game because obviously that was one that I was watching intensely. That, But that was only in the last 15 minutes that I see them kind of working together as a unit. It was up until then kind of relying on individual skill and individuals mm-hmm. working, like you know, individuals working together, but like individuals working to their own benefit, not for the team's benefit. Um, yes. And I think that's, that's very hard to get a team on track and in like sync to play well if everyone's just playing to better themselves. It's like um, I heard some one of the podcasts I listened to during the week. It's like they've looked at their st- like weekly stats and have given themselves a stats target to build up. Like oh, they you know last week I dribbled fast. Yeah, yeah. Like I dribbled past three three successful dribbles, and then it's like I'm going to bring it up to four even though the opportunity to pass to a teammate is right there. It's like, no, you, you want to build on your stats or um, you've got a forward pass on, but it's risky. So you take the option of giving you the higher stat completion rate, which is, you mm-hmm. know, the more uh, boring and, you know, safe option. And that's all I could see. Like the, I, 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 I watched this game and I, it's not, I couldn't put into words. It was like, they were all just individuals that happened to be playing in the same Jersey. And that was like, what stuck out with me with this team. And Raf is a great manager and he is infamous uh, from or, uh, with other clubs about his man <laughs> management style and how he like, you know, can bring these squads together and have like the, te- like Lucas Leva playing the pivotal role yeah. for a Liverpool team. I don't see that there's been any sort of like oh, there's yeah. everything are just as disjointed now as they were when he took them on. So yeah, um yeah, that that's kind of my views on Everton. Like yeah, they no, just I, I think yeah. I'm feeling the same about them because okay, granted, like I like I'll, I'll rattle off a few names here. So Carlison, Demary Gray, Rondon, Dinier, Townsend, and Calvert Lewin. Those are six players they are missing for the Chelsea game. Right, yeah. but also I'll also try out these names: Anthony Gordon, Jared Braithwaite, um, Ella Sims. They, they're those are starting that game against Chelsea, and they managed yeah. to get a point out of it. You know, yeah. Now, granted, it took Jordan Pickford like like saving in double figures to keep like Chelsea out, and Chelsea again having this very strange like inability to score goals again. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like it's very hard to say. Um, like Rafa is at fault for what's happening with, with Everton. Uh, and I don't think many people are saying that either. You know, it's seen as very much a case of like... But is that a case that Rafa is just so beloved by the English press that he's immune to any criticism? Because yeah, like everyone was on his side when Newcastle, when he was doing shit at Newcastle. But mm. I, granted, everyone does hate Mike Ashley. So yes. like, you know everyone is going to side with Rafa like if there's a choice between the two um but i i haven't seen like that man management that cohesion being built within the squad from Rafa that i would have expected like mm. it's not like he's brand new into the job he had a pre-season with them yeah like 
like yeah that's that's kind of my point like he's had time to settle into um uh, settle into kind of i don't know how rhythm. Is, um, you, you know, whatever kind of tactics he has they should yeah to get the tactics yeah. across it's not like he's brand new yeah exactly and yeah like i feel like he is wrongly avoiding criticism here Perhaps. I think I'd say it's more of a case and like my kind of thoughts on Everton themselves. I just don't, I get the feeling the Everton squads don't like him, you know, because they have been essentially like they've had, they've gone on a a last run of like, say having like, bear in mind the last season, their manager was Carlo Ancelotti, like a a manager who like, you know, again, one of the best coaches in the world, but at the same time, like everything was kind of a summer job as well. Like he was essentially like going in to keep, to keep in the, Keep relevant, let's say, until an actual a proper club took him out, took yeah. over, and lo and behold, Real Madrid came in. And um, and even before then, you had the likes of like you had Coleman and Martinez and all these other people who have used everything as a stepping stone for their own careers. Rafa looks to be someone who wants to stay at Everton, and I think the difference is that in relative to those kind of managers, Rafa is a very cold splash of reality, where like. Ancelotti is someone who's like who has been able to bring out bring in people like James Rodriguez just from name value alone, whereas Rafa has like looked at the deficiencies of that squad and said, "Oh, you have no wingers. Let me buy two wingers." And you know what? Those two wingers who he signed for nothing have been your best players. You know that is not a coincidence either. That is down to like knowing what that team is lacking. The difference is the team don't realize that themselves. Yeah, <laughs> like they want to still like like play as if they're like an Ancelotti side or a Coleman side, whatever it is. And the the real issue they have there is that they don't want to like they they don't want to acknowledge the fact that they're Everton. They want to live in denial of the fact of, of what club they're in. Whereas Rafa understands Everton will be playing second second fiddle to Liverpool for the most part. I mean, like they like legit like Liverpool are scoring double the points Everton are right now. So Rafa understands that. He knows that he's not playing the same game as Liverpool, whereas Evertonians want to. I mean, like I said, like, like, like last season, Everton's season is made if they beat Liverpool at any point in the season. That should not be, like, go for a cup run, like, make the team hard to beat, all this sort of stuff. Play your own game. And I think I think Rafa understands that. He is not going to have the budget that Ancelotti did because they have a fucking stadium to build. And mm-hmm. when you really look at, it down, look at it from the top down, the issue is not, down below here with the players and the and the manager, they're symptoms of the issue, which is the owner. And the owner doesn't have a fucking clue what he's doing. He is literally like Ed Woodwarding the, the league, where yeah. it's like spend money, spend money, spend money, spend money. And Rafa is one of the managers who just goes, No, I don't want the money. I will sign who I think is smart moves. And yeah. he has yeah. literally gone for like, we need a backup goalkeeper, let's get Begovic. We need Defense in with. And we need a backup for strikers because you only have two strikers. And lo and behold, both of them yep. got sick and got injured, and he's had to rely on Salomon Rondon, who has not played football for nine months because he was stuck in China. So, like, it, that is the that's the reality of it. The fact that he is like essentially trying to make wins out of what is essentially a sales arse here is is quite impressive. But it's also the fact that like it's been very much shown up when the quality of even the teams around him right now in the league is so much better than Everton. You know, they're, they're just being shown up by, by, by other teams who got their shit together. Um, so, I, in a sense, I do feel sorry for Rafa, but it's also Everton's fault for, like, letting this happen to begin with. As you said, I don't know, like, the, the Malay seems to be kind of carried on to the women's side as well. I don't know if it is an issue with just the training, the facilities, or 
maybe just the area generally. I don't know what there's something there's a fatal flaw there. I don't know, but um, but yeah, it, it's certainly a, a, a weird one in that sense. Um, yeah. but like I suppose like if, if we're not talking about the kind of like the, the championship as it is, like it's still a three horse race. Chelsea dropping off a bit, but between Man City and Liverpool, it is very very close. Like there's a point in the difference. Like Man City, okay, we get it. Oh, you beat Leeds seven 0 Yeah, yeah, get over yourself. Um, so they've like got their goal difference up now as well, which is what they kind of needed, because like again, Man City. Oh, it's not like Liverpool can go and beat Arsenal five nil. Like you know, Liverpool. It was four. It was four nil actually, but uh, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> 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 we, we tried to go over the fifth goal, but Origi. Oh yeah, I actually, I know. I think I was actually. I said to you before the game, or I said it to someone before the game, I was like, oh, it's probably going to be five nil. I'm not going to watch that game. Mm. Like I was close enough. Yeah, in a manner of speaking, yeah. Um, but like the uh, I suppose that the one uh, uh, frustrating thing is about uh, uh, about Liverpool. I don't think it's a frustrating thing. It's the case of like this is the best football that I think we've ever played on the club. Like this is by far the best version of this team I've seen, and um, mainly because everyone's keeping fit. We don't have that much of an issue with with injuries in the squad. We're a little yeah. bit light on central midfielders, but we do have enough options there to keep it as a bit of a rotating door. Um, even Oxley Chamberlain's getting the run of games in the squad. Now, granted, he's, he's normally, normally on for an hour and then he gets chopped out for everybody. But that's but that hour, he's very, very good. Um, I'm even thinking now in the Champions League in particular, he's been fantastic. Um, Atletico Madrid, he had a great game. AC Milan, he ran the show, should have got a goal out of it uh, and played uh, last night against Newcastle. The difference, is, and, the, and the key thing as well, is that like when you have Salah scoring the goals he is, everyone is, is looking better. But again, people are chipping in. You've got Jota scoring goals. Mane hasn't scored in six, and that's like seen as now completely abnormal. <laughs> you know, But even yeah. squad players like um, like Origi's and Minamino's are popping in for goals now, which is nice. Uh, Henderson's scoring goals this season. And and one big problem we had last year was like there was no goals from midfield. Now people are taking shots. They're like, you know, Thiago's got a couple under his belt now as well. So everyone is is having a go and is playing with a lot more freedom, knowing that they don't have to have this vow of poverty that they had last year with no with no fucking players available. And of course, it does help when you do have the, the strength and depth in defense now. And the fact that like we can boast that like Ibrahim Kanate is our fourth choice center back is pretty fucking surreal. And he's good. For fourth choice, like centre back, I suppose he's third choice now ahead of Gomez. He's really goddamn good. Um, yeah, I've liked what I've seen when I have seen like bits of him. Like, mm. yeah, solid, solid, very solid, very solid. And he's 22 as well. So, like, he can easily be a mainstay in that team for 10, 12 years, like Gomez is. So, mm. like, already you can see the continuity in the center, in the, in the centre backs. Where like you'll have Van Dijk and Matip for next few years, but over time you'll see Matip and Go- uh, 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 Matip phase out for Kanate and Gomez come in for Van Dijk. It feels natural, it feels smooth, uh, and I think that'll be the plan for stuff like the strikers as well because Josh has already phased out for Mino, and you'll see like if Curtis Jones didn't like get poked in the eye for some fucking reason, you'd see him in the squad a bit more often too, and Harvey Elliott would be in there as well. So you can see the team evolving over time and. The fact that we're still getting results out of it is really, really good. The problem is that Man City also exists. <laughs> and they're doing the exact same fucking thing on their side. You know? Yeah, that machine is just still churning. It is. And and the frustrating thing is, like, I, I don't know if it's just me this season, but like, I, I, I find it very difficult to watch Man City in a sense where, like, they're the most boringly impressive team I've ever seen. 
Yeah, like, yeah. They're always it's on the just ball. It's so mechanic. Yes, it, that's exactly it. Like it's it's like um it's like an engineered success. You know, kind of way where like it's like it's like it's like watching like Barcelona be a football manager. This is like oh they've got the ball and they scored fantastic great same game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I literally, I play a game now where, like, if I'm watching Man City, I'll just watch until the first goal is scored. And I'll, right, fight's over. Because <laughs> it's, it's just easier that way for me. You know, it's just yeah. like, okay, they're not, they're not shitting the bed. I don't care. <laughs> I, I get that. I get that. You know, um, but, uh, they're they're a like, team whose women's team are in the opposite to them. I was uh, about to mention with... the women's team. They have had a year. Soccer. <laughs> Um, as an Arsenal fan this has been great to watch Um, but it is like uh, Gareth Taylor is going to say the reason why we're doing so badly is because we have had so many injuries but again just like the men have Man City's buying powers so do the women they've got the pull of that badge they've got you know not infinite money, but like they do have a lot of money allocated to the women's team. So they, in effect, can buy players like the men can in terms of high ranking, high profile, high quality players and have multiple levels of that in each position. So that if one player gets injured, they have a backup. Yeah. So they will say that they've had injuries that have back, back, like, you know, hindered their season. And I can... Lucy Bronze, yeah, she is kind of one that, as being one of the top three players in the entire world as a right mm. back, having her out injured is a bit shit. Yeah. Then her, her replacement getting injured. Mm. And then the third choice, there, there is no third choice right back. So it's Georgia Stanway, who is one of your more prominent attacking players being drafted back. Uh, into right back um, and then being Georgia Sandway about it getting herself into trouble quite often in terms of mm. getting bookings and whatnot um, yeah like look they have just been awful to watch regardless of the injuries uh, t- they have a third choice keeper actually as well and um, they're yeah it, just to go through it now, I, now I'm saying like oh yeah you can blame that they don't have the players and I, I'm being a bit flipping in that like they have had so many injuries out like it is kind of Arsenal-esque from 2017 with the like there's more players on the bench than they're on the fit like fit on the yeah. field Um, Jill Scott who is you know getting on in the years as a midfielder is now filling in at centre-back Um, yeah. now and that that you look at that going, Jesus, they must be really struggling with their depth to the squad if they're bringing Jill Scott on to play into like play centre back. There's a centre back on the bench in Ruby mm. Mace. Ruby Mace is a young player, yes. Um, they took from the Arsenal Academy this season, bought her with the promise that she was going to be getting game time because she was actually getting game time at Arsenal. Yeah. due to our injury issues um, and they're not playing her so like no. for all of Gareth Taylor's complaints that he's got no defenders because they're all out injured he's got one sitting on the bench and he's basically like or oh, her time will come kind of making out that she's not ready enough for the step up to the, the FAWSL whereas she played 
a handful of matches with Arsenal before going out on loan and pretty much keeping Birmingham City in the league yeah. um, last season as a, a centre-back. It's just bizarre. Like, And his tactical um, decisions when faced with kind of issues of um, injuries and having to makeshift teams and stuff, like the, the, the options he's taken, like to put Georgia Sanway as a right-back and then complain... That uh, that you know, there's not enough defensive cover, and having their third choice goalkeeper, Karen Bardsley, has been injured since the two 2019 World Cup. Like, is when she got injured, she hasn't Sorry. fully recovered from that. So, if your goalkeeper is injured coming into the season, and you know it's going to be a long term injury, in my books, you would replace her or buy in. A worthy replacement to be yeah. a second choice keeper, and maybe drop her down to third choice. Um, but no, they they have a keeper in. She's third choice keeper. Um, Ellie Roebuck is in a fantastic keeper. So again, missing her is going to be a big deal for Man City. But um, uh, the other keeper, like I've seen her, like she is. It's more kind of an experience rather than being a bad keeper. Like mm. kind of not not being commanding enough with her backline, but again, I was watching them play Arsenal, where Arsenal bet them five nil, and there was maybe out of the two goal, uh, there was two goals that were the purely the keeper, but there were three goals in the game where the keeper is screaming at her defense to do things, and her defense were not listening to her. Yeah, and at that stage, the keeper like obviously doesn't have control of her backline. Um, and that's when the manager has to step in and because he's got no other goalkeeper options, he's got to try and make something work there. Um, mm. Up front, um, they've like, they got Bunny Shaw, um, who I was really excited to see in the league. She has kicked into gear in the last few games, but again, hasn't been up to much up until now. Uh, yeah. They've had Vicky Lasada. Uh, signing from mm. Barcelona, like again, like look at these top quality signings they made yeah. in the season, but not in positions of depth where they needed. Like you know, they were threadbare in defence. Steph, it's, it's very familiar to Man United men's team, isn't it? Where like they're signing like you know forward players like Sancho and Ronaldo when all they need is a number six, and yeah. they will just ignore the fact that they have such a hole in one particular part of the field. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like they knew coming into the season, Lucy Brand was going to be out injured. Yeah. Steph Houghton, because this all happened at the Olympics that they got injured. Ellen White was injured for a while. Now, mm. in fairness, they, but they didn't do anything with, with Ellen White because they had Shaw coming in to replace yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. You had um, cover there. They had cover there, but like their defensive backline, they brought in Alex Greenwood. Um, and that was it. Like that was last January, I think she signed for them. And they were like, ah, don't. Dusted. We got the, we got that sorted. Um, uh, it, it just uh, how he's still in the job when he there's clear managerial issues at the squad. The team don't look cohesive. Now they did mm. have a convincing win last week, but they have been absolutely abject. When they played Arsenal, it was like we were playing a Championship side team. There was just so defeated, yeah. and it was. Yeah, they just, they're not, uh, they're quite hilarious to watch in terms of opposite to the men's who are so mechanical and precise with their passing. Uh, their passing is like watching a school team or yeah. like a bad championship team. 
you know, like yeah, I, I see your, I see what you mean. Like it's it's very much a case like it's very prevalent. Like we 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 often give out about the likes of say like we we were slagging off Solskjaer for having very poor managerial skills. Yeah, men's side. And like he is a very much like a sore thumb compared to like the rest of the top six managers who all like have their own footballing philosophies and like you know wrote the book of their own tactics, you know. So when like when Solskjaer is and like his two like newbie like uh first team assistants are going up against like Guardiola Tic Attacker or like Jurgen Klopp like Gergen Press or Antonio Conte shouting at them until it works, you know, yeah. like that's a tactical solution. Whereas, like, he's completely out of his death. He has no form. It's very, it's actually more noticeable in the women's game because even I'm looking at the table now and you look like, like Man City mid-table and Everton down there, like, you can actually look at it and say, that is a managerial issue. Like, they are just not playing right tactics. Because, then I mean, you look at, like, how, uh, again, like we mentioned Emma Hayes, Neil have had some fascinating thoughts on her in particular uh, over the uh, Wolfsburg loss. But... She has had a great run of, of, of teams, a great run of, of, uh, of success with, with Chelsea. Of course, those help when you have access to some of the best players in the world. But mm-hmm. again, look at the example. Jonas Eidval now in, at Arsenal. Like, there's a reason why he's a own beaten in the league. There's a reason why you're the top scorers. There's a reason why you're the best defenders. Because tactically, something there is working. And yeah. shockingly, once you find that solution this whole football thing becomes a lot easier. It isn't just a case of, and I think, again, it's very prevalent. It, I, I know, you know, sometimes in like teams where you do have a lot of like transition, like, like players moving from like club to club for no like fees or whatever it is. You know, like how like the League of Ireland will have that as well. Yeah. You know, in some way, the League of Ireland sometimes is almost like a lottery of what kind of players you can get. You know, players like, you know, one year Dundalk are like, you know, Europe, like Europa League team. And then suddenly, oh God, where the fuck are we going? And all the mm-hmm. players are jumping ship. They're all the rats are, are flying off. In the same way, like where like Bowes have lost all their team players this year, and now they're left with like Ross Tierney, who's gone to Motherwell. It's like, oh fuck, he's actually gone as well. Shit, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's it's kind of the same way where like th- there's a bit of a lottery with the players. And a lot of it is 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 made about like holy shit, Birmingham signed Louis Quinn and, and Jamie Finn and all these players. Graham, but who's a manager? Who's in charge? Does he have yeah. a system? Does she have a system? That type of deal. Like a lot of it is made out of that. Yeah, Birmingham saying, City um, would have been one of my cards from a few weeks ago had I been awake yeah. enough for the podcast. But um, mm-hmm. based on that, that like there was buy all these players, and as it turns out, it, they could only buy certain players because they hadn't signed a document allowing them to sign international yes. um, players, um, which meant um, yeah, they they were stuck to British Isles and Ireland. So basically. Uh, they were the only players that they could sign, um, yeah. and it worked out well for the, the, the loads of Irish girls that um, uh, are after joining with them. Now Birmingham, just on that, while we're well, you mentioned Birmingham, yeah. um, they are fighting relegation um, against Leicester. So Birmingham have got one point, but last weekend played Man City to tie in with all of our points here, um, and went in the lead twice. And it was an 87th minute winner. And it was a fucking rocket. Uh, and it was from, uh, was it Stanway or is it Hemp? Or, yeah, it was one of the kind of young English girls. So, like, obviously yeah. the FA crowd were going fucking mental over it. But, um, yeah, no, it was really unfortunate because Birmingham actually, like, they play a style of football now, which is very compact but in this mm. game they actually went for it like they, like Birmingham looked at Man City and said Birmingham with one point fighting relegation yeah. looked at Man City it's like we can get at these yeah. and they did yeah. 
they fucking did. And uh, yeah, no, it is um, unfortunate for Birmingham. I really hope they get through. Obviously, from all the Irish interest, we've yeah, of course. Internationals playing for Birmingham at the minute, like uh, you know, quite yeah. a heavy load of uh, yeah. There's an Irish, there's an Irish spine to the Birmingham sides. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and Louise Quinn, uh, one of my favorite players, being you know captain. Obviously, I'm gonna have a soft spot for them. Mm. Um, and they're up against Leicester, who have also changed their manager. And um, one of my favorite players of all time, Super Heskey. Uh, he is no, no, he's not. The, he was assistant manager. Um, it, it, yes. What's her name? Lydia, Lydia Bedfordshire or something. Lydia, mm. very English name. Her name. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And look, look, I'm hoping that that doesn't give them. Uh, I, I like Leicester from the investment that they put into women's football, but <laughs> in comparison to Birmingham. But I would mm. like the women to do it despite their owners' hatred of them. Um, yes. <laughs> so it's kind of that, uh, that's my motivation for Birmingham uh, mm. to get through this but yeah no it, looking at it, that yeah. just to kind of cap that off um, having a style of play in the WSL is very very important um, mm, and we're, we're playing Brighton at the weekend who have an absolutely like if I was to compare them to a men's team they're like Bielsa when Bielsa plays good football yeah yeah proper Bielsa ball yeah and like again it, it's that's the difference in having a system though because again like Brighton who are like okay by, by all kinds of purposes are a really well run club at least uh, certainly in the women's game compared to everything else but they're being rewarded for that because they're fourth in the league and again their 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 squads are not necessarily stronger than the likes of say Man City or Everton or even perhaps Spurs who are third again great mm-hmm. example like again they're just like not necessarily getting like you know they're not blowing teams away but they're winning games and that's all you have yeah. to do sometimes just be they're getting results down. getting results exactly and because every time i'm bringing that up is because like we are having the similar like development now with liverpool with the women's team because we're, yeah. we're currently top of the championship whereas last season we were really really ailing you know and the reason was because because even though we had fairly good players in fairly good positions we're just not playing the right type of football we weren't playing to our strengths whereas now matt beer's come in he's brought in his players, as in players he wanted from day one, yep. they're playing in the squad, they're part of the rotation. It's now got really good depth as well, which I think is very crucial. Because now we're like, we've got three goalkeepers on the go. We've got a young, a lot of young players, like um, our captain is 24, and she's, like, she's got fucking like plenty of time to go in terms of that. Uh, but also helps now, like the team actually has a focal point. You know, like everything is going to Leanne Kiernan and she's scoring for fucking, for fun. You know, yep. like it's, it's actually if she wasn't injured, um, like she could have easily been in the in the Ireland starting eleven, you know, because she is just on form, like one of the best out there at the moment. But at the same time, the championship is weird. Where like I think the competition, the championship is now better than the WSL, mainly because there's so many teams in the championship that are actually making a project out of their women's team. In the same way, like you yeah, know, they, and they're all at kind of similar stages of their development. So they're all yeah. at the same level. Whereas with the WSL, you do have Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, whose men's team are rich and therefore yes. can invest into the women's team. And that goes across. Um, and I absolutely, but you look at Liverpool, like Liverpool's team are rich. Um, but yeah, they, they stopped investing in the women's team thinking that they had mm. done enough. Uh, ah, yeah, we, we did well there for a few years and thought like they could maintain that status, but no, 
you need to continually invest. And especially when it's ramping up so much now. Like it was yeah. educated, they had just fallen off the horse completely. And all it took really was just a, a stronger voice in there to actually say, no, I want this, 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 and this, and in three years' time, I'll make you WSL champions. And that's like literally what Matt Breed has more or less said. And yeah. the problem with Kelly Jepsen, as much as everyone really liked her, and I think she still is employed in the club in some, in some capacity, I'm not sure how, but she she is at least involved in the Liverpool family. The difference was that now someone is actually batting for the women's team inside Liverpool. There is an actual like, incentive to say, well, look, like, like, like Arsenal and Chelsea are competing over their front, over, over on the women's front, we're not. Let's get up to that speed. And again, the players they brought in are clearly believing in that project. The likes of like the fact that the likes of Megan Campbell and Leanne Kernan, Carla Humphrey are willing to drop down a division in order to become part of this Liverpool project should say something about like how um like it, like about how curious this all is. You know, mm. if they're willing to go down a division, take this year in the championship and hopefully get promoted next year. What can this Liverpool team achieve? Especially now that they'll be on a WSL budget. They'll have access to better players. They might want to go, they might want to stick with who they have, but they might now want to get bigger names in because now they're WSL side, you know? So it's it depends on which way they go. But definitely having someone who tactically knows what they're doing means so much more on the women's side. And it's, 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 you know, it's more obvious in the women's side, in a sense where like, yeah. inside, when- you can bluff your way through. When Joe Montemurro came into Arsenal and played very Arsene Wenger-esque football, mm. um, that was like brilliant. And team, we blew teams away. Like in that season where we had, I think, seven uh, out of the starting 11 um, out injured, four of which had ACL or serious knee injuries. Yes. Um, like they were season long ones. It wasn't just a niggle here and there. It was like season long injuries. Um, but it was a style of football that everyone bought into. Um, mm. The only thing is, and the reason why Joe then left last year was because people caught on to this is the only style of football that they have. So they have no plan left. B, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that is kind of the case that happens with teams that they go through a run of form because they've started playing in a new way. And it takes mm. a couple of matches to kind of, for teams to cop on. Um, and we're playing this kind of similar to the uh, kind of Gagan press, I suppose, football now with Eideval. Um <laughs> The way I, from, from the matches I've seen of Arsenal, like I have noticed, and I think it was like, I think it was watching you guys up against Chelsea. It was the game he's won at the start of the season. Oh, that's uh, okay. The good one. Okay. Yeah. The good one. Yeah. Not the, not the FA Cup game. The way I kind of looked at it, and again, it's because you kind of caught Chelsea by surprise, but there was a lot more of an invitation. There was a lot more overlaps than with Montemora. Montemora always was like, kind of like ping pong, quickly, quickly yeah, yeah. change the balls and like move it up and like have no kind of positional rigidity. Whereas, like, with Edval, it was a case of, like, no, no, your striker, your wing, your wing, and pivot, and keep moving, and keep yeah, moving. Yeah, up and, down. Yeah. and everything was nice and rigid and, and strict in that sense compared to Montemoro. And that's worked so much better because out of all the kind of, like, the team, the women's teams I can, I have a, a, a decent knowledge of, like yourself, Chelsea, and, and, and to a lesser extent, Man City and Liverpool, I find Arsenal's team to be one of the most rigid in terms of positioning. Not a kind of way where, like, with Chelsea, like, you have, like, Weird, like, like, fucking, like, Megan Charles, like, playing in the central defense, where, like, oh, she should not be there, uh, yeah. or like, you know, t- t- something like that, so, like, or Lauren James, Lauren James is playing like right back when she's a right winger and shit like that. It's like, no, that yeah. doesn't make sense, you know, or again, like, Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby perennially out of position, but it's only to get them on the pitch, you know what yeah. I mean? The same way, like, yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. in the top league is like that. But Arsenal, like, Medina's established locked in number nine, 
and McCabe is locked in now left wing or left back. Now she's I think I'm right to say she's more or less left back now for, for Arsenal because No, she's better. more a wing winger she now, now okay. this season. With 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 yeah. Idafal. But um she's actually one of uh, five players that have played the most minutes under Idafal. Um hmm. and that's because Catley if Catley's playing McCabe is pushed up. Yes, and okay. if Catley's not on you know, it, yeah, it's it, it's just a but yeah, she's just constantly playing and constantly playing this really high pressing, high yeah. octane football. But what? But I suppose the, the kind of to, to to pin what I'm saying there in the case where like if Medina is playing, the key to Paris is it's not a case of yeah. like we need to get both of them on the pitch and just have one other position just because. Yeah, no, no there's a lot you know, of yeah and, squad. At rotation. least now you have an option. You have rotation and you have consistency within the squad where you always have Beth Mead on. You'll always have Liam Williamson on. You'll always have your midfield who's more or less like kind of stuck to the same from like three or four more or less there's a bit of interchange yeah. but it's like it's more or less the same so when you do have it that way like it makes the team click so much better because again like every kind of like big team is like that i mean liverpool are playing more or less the same 11 each each week and the reason is to keep the is keep the flow keep the yeah. keep the 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 jot the the, 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 the the what's the term the the flow in the team continuous because yeah. like if Salah like is given a rest for two games, he could very well go the next two without scoring. Like he is a confidence, he's a he's a he's a foreign player, and they're all foreign yeah. players. Same with Arsenal are. So like it makes complete sense um to, to do it that way. But the fact that they are so rigid in position, like no, 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 like this will always be the case. Like this is your front tree, this is your middle tree, keep it that way and let them play together. Makes um, no sense. Yeah, um, and like we have this kind of squad rotation which is working out really well for like on the most part, but like Nadima like has kind of gotten out of um form, I suppose, because she's been yeah. rested a good bit. But Montemuro, she played like every minute of every game and like was carrying injuries, was carrying knocks into games, whereas now we've got positionally we've got position depth there we can put forward in we can put paris yeah. in and yeah you can see the logic behind it but um just on that kind of like having a style of play in the wsl is very good but to our team's detriment we found that that style of play is very much known about in europe in the european mm. leagues it is not you know unusual for teams to be under a high press so they're able to play out of it much better imagine yeah, like we, we we got hammered by Hoffenheim, and um, like during the week, and that was kind of came to us as a shock. But when you look at the style of football, they're quite actual similar style of football. And in this case, their keeper had a great game, and our defense fell asleep twice. Um, mm. And I, I know they scored four, but there was t- two times for those four goals we gave the ball away in like just outside of our own box. Like, you know, yeah. that's just, yeah, you, you're going to get right punished. Box, yeah. the, you know, it, it's Champions League, you're going to get punished for that. Um, and then the other two goals were just very similar to what we play and we just got outplayed by it. Um, mm. I, I don't think we can have any complaints with the scoreline. We, we, we just got outplayed by our own style of football. And I think that's great. I think like out of the heavy defeats that we've had over the last few weeks, I think the Hoffenheim game is probably the one where we can learn the most because Barcelona, they were chasing shadows. Mm. They're playing against a fantastic, phenomenal team. That we were always going to lose that game. It was a case of what oh, limit the damage. Yes. With the Chelsea game in the final, that is just complete capitulation. That is just, I 
there's something has to be done for like squad psychological prep going into these kind of big matches because that yeah. was purely they shit the bed that was the mm. worst way I've ever seen them play football and like I've been with them through the the, the, like the, the, the yeah um but like they yeah like I think the Hoffenheim game is where they're going to learn the most because they had done to them what we have been doing to other teams so if we can see that we should be able to overcome that so in the league if someone's watching how did Hoffenheim beat Arsenal because you know they're not a better squad on paper Mm. um oh they did the exact same Arsenal thing oh maybe we'll try that but now Arsenal should know how to circumnavigate that if that is the case Um, and that's me that yeah in theory Obviously, I'm taking the positive. I'm trying to take some positives here from what has been a very turbulent uh, few weeks supporting uh, the Arsenal women. But um, well, well, let's stick to that, uh, Burkwell, because um, yeah. because we have we have some cards to give out uh, for this podcast. And, yes, um, we'll start with you. We'll, we'll, let's keep it with the Arsenal talk. And um, who is your mm. card and why? Uh, my card is uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Mm-hmm. Horror. Um, Look, um, I think I've said it on this podcast before that I think Aubameyang is a great player. Haven't ever been sure about his leadership qualities other than being the best player on the team. Yeah. As in technically, I think he's a brilliant player. I know he's been out of form since last season, but again, I have other thoughts on that as well. Sure. Um. As a leader, unless you want your team to be based on it's only as good as its best, like most skillful player. Okay. Yeah. Don't I don't know. Like I don't get like we don't get to see uh, Aubameyang's kind of leadership qualities off the pitch. I don't see sure. where his leadership qualities come in. We know from it being heavily publicised last season that there was disciplinary breaches in relation to timekeeping. Um, he has always had that kind of tagline of, you know, he's a troublemaker at a club. He came to us from Borussia Dortmund having, you know, been kind of tired by his former boss saying, like, he's a troublemaker, he was a pain in the arse. Mm. Um, you know, like, people like, oh, maybe he's matured. And, like, I look at the Instagram story he's, he puts up. I look at his kind of flashy car. I'm like, that doesn't show me that that's a mature person. Um, And I would, like, for personally, if there was someone who was kind of laughing and joking, like, in the dressing room before a match, that would put me off as a captain, uh, you know, like looking to them as a captain. Yes. Um. As I've said, and I think again on this podcast, I don't, like, there's obviously some leadership qualities there. Um, Internally, maybe. He might be seen as the nicest, as, as like, around the, in the same way, like, who was the, David Luiz was said that for quite a while. He he was very good within the squad, but doesn't give off that right right impression of being an actual Premier League, like, like winning mentality captain. But he's good amongst the side, I suppose. Like, he's well-liked. I know, and Neil will probably back me up on this, that there is a journalist that we both follow and adore called uh, Tim Stillman. Yes. And he doesn't believe in captains. He doesn't believe in the idea of a captain because it's been kind of hyped by the mostly English and British press of the importance of being a captain. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't agree with there being a club captain. He wants, you know, the the team should respond to the manager and there shouldn't be a leader on the pitch versus the leader on the side of the pitch. That's what I think. 
I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I do think you need a leader on the pitch. You need someone that if the you know the tempo's dropping and you need kind of yeah. someone to boost it. There needs to be someone there. The women's team have so many natural leaders in their team. Like I'm just looking at the and the women's team. We've got Leah Williamson, who's captain mm. England. Manuel Zinsberger, who's captain Austria occasionally. Uh, Leah Valti is the Austrian captain. Mm. Sorry, the Swiss captain. Um, I, I always get those mixed up. Oops, sorry. Um, I, we've got Katie McCabe, who's the Irish captain, the youngest ever captain of an international team in in football, men or women's. Yeah. Um, you've got Kim Nittle, who's captain, uh, who is the squad captain. You've got Jordan Nobbs, uh, who is the vice captain of the club. You've got like obviously Viv Media, who it would be if she was club captain, it would be the same kind of tokenism of being here's our best player, let's make them captain. Uh, Harry um, Kane but, syndrome in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like look at that list of players yeah. that I've just mentioned it. They are born leaders. I look at the men's team, and when ha- the announcement of the captaincy was that was taken off, I went kind of who is the leadership group there? Like I'm, I'm trying to work my head around this because I wouldn't like the leadership group is more or less like it's a mixture of coaches and players. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I would not um, let the players pick the captain. That that's my personal choice. Like the the, the coach, the manager should recognise who the most natural leader there is. You know, see, this is I'm every that, leadership group I think that has like like you know kind of carry on with that. Yeah, um, but like, but on that point, like I I do like. On, on what you're saying there about Tim Stillman not believing in captains, I strongly disagree with, with that assessment. And the reason mm-hmm. I say it is because look at Arsenal. <laughs> like, yeah. look and at I, Arsenal. Like, that is an example of why you need a strong captain. Because, exactly. again, exactly. one player you guys have been linked to in the summer, I'm sorry to cut your heart to there, but, but um, yeah. like, one guy one guy you've been linked to in the in January is Gini Wijnaldum. Uh, because like PSG aren't using them, they don't they don't like understand his benefit to the squad without like you know look at his fucking performances, you pricks. Um, he's not a big enough name for PSG basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But the difference is that like on a football, Messi pitch, can't spell it, so you know he's fuck Messi to be honest. Um, <laughs> that, that'll come with my card later on. <laughs> but but the thing is that like he is, Ronaldo is one of those kind of intangible players where like. You don't, like, if you're on the outside looking in, like, looking at it like an XG chart, you're going, like, I don't understand what his good is in the squad is. And then you play with him and go, oh, my fucking God, he's an, he's an animal. He's a beast. Mm. He doesn't stop running. He doesn't stop moving. He doesn't stop shouting. You know, and that's, those are the things that Arsenal are missing. Is the fact that, like, a lot of it is down to, like, much like Man United, down to name quality. You know, they're playing the big names. They know, like, the ones that, that take the boxes. And to break, to have a Bamiyang as captain is a very token, like, Please stay with us. We'll make you club captain. That's the way I was thinking of that. That was Emery. That like he. Yeah, it was Emery. It was Emery and Arson or Arteta. Like you know, continued with him. Um, like he had the opportunity, I suppose, when he came in as coach. But like I can understand, then you don't want to rock the boat too much because you're rocking so many other parts of the boat. You you want to kind of keep something steady. Um, but yeah, like I'm looking at the like you got people calling for Ramsdale, like Ramsdale, who four months ago was worse than dog shit on your shoe in Arsenal fans' opinions, um, mm. and now they're like calling for him to be captain because he is that vocal, he's that emotive, he's that shouty guy. Like you can hear yes. him on the sidelines over the crowd noise. Like he's screaming for the ball, he's screaming at people to get back and defend, and it's that vocalization of what's of 
energy and passion and you don't get that from about me you see him sulking no. when the ball doesn't come to him um you see him making a sprint and then giving up halfway when he realizes the ball's not going to come in and then not coming back and defending and um, if thomas party who's a big marquee signing people are like oh, i'll give it to him and I was like, well, like, no, he's a very, very quiet guy who has yeah. publicly come out saying he's playing shit football and he needs to focus on that at the minute. And like, that's good, I suppose, self-awareness, but it's not, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to make a good leader on the pitch, yeah. if he's, especially if he's playing shit. And he's gone, oh, guys, I'm having another shocker. Sorry. But like, they're only um, saying that because, like, positionally, he, that person normally is the captain. You know, that, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. like there, you know. So you got Xhaka, who, you know, famously has not apologize for throwing the captain's armband on the ground and that is a bone of contention because i do think that was a i I can understand why he was so frustrated i absolutely he's been asked to do three different jobs by emery and failing at them all um and his his anger is frustration at emery rather than the and the crowd getting on his back didn't help him but like he never apologized like and i think that's just what grinds people's gears i think everyone can understand you'd be frustrated in that situation but you don't throw your captain's armband down yet he is still a leader in the dressing room he's still respected by those players and they can't make him captain permanently because that's just going to mean like people are just going to be bringing this up over all over yeah exactly it it, it will lock it well you don't hear the end of this like but it's just leaving this vacuum now because Lacazette, like I mentioned at the start, Lacazette is Aubameyang's best friend. Mm. Um, and if your best friend, it's like if you're in school and your best friend has been given out to the te- by the teacher and the teacher then is forced to, you know, give you the good grade or whatever because and I, I, you feel bad because it's your friend and you don't want to yeah. take that good grade and your teacher's giving you this, like, you know, ultimatum, like pick me get your good grade or your captain's armband or mm. go with your friend and you know wait until the summer to get sold and but even I then Lacazette like isn't even a natural leader because again in, in big games he's anonymous like okay granted like, he has a phenomenal record in the in the white in the against White Hart Lane but that's a that's a separate issue that's more of a situational thing I mean in the same way like you know Divock Origi always scores against Everton I wouldn't make him fucking captain in a sense yeah you know yeah. Like, but like but, it's, it's always um, the captain just, of what makes a good captain as well that's what I'm looking at Martin Odegaard. He is Norway's captain. Okay, fair, yeah. Like he and he is a very young captain. He's got those leadership skills, but he's quite quiet. He's like he's a Kim Little of a leader. Yeah. As in he'll do the bit on the pitch, but he might not be and he'll do the post-match stuff and he'll do the analysis and he'll talk to the guys probably after the match. But on mm-hmm. the pitch, there's not that Katie McCabe, let's fucking get in there yes. energy. Um, like you know, it's you know, come on, right? I'll sh- I'll do this nice, quick passing, nice, you know, like you know, just move, yeah. get the game flowing or whatever. Um, and if I was to pick a captain from that group, I think Ramsdale's too fresh, so I would go with uh, Martin Odegaard for the captain if it was my choice. Um, I would go yeah. for in you know, Tierney. Tierney would have been my natural <sighs> pick because again, he's the same I, I think- if you'd asked me this time last year, I would have say, said the exact same, but Tierney has just been so hit and miss with his appearances mm. that I don't think you have to be there for a cap as a captain. You need to be playing. Yes, you need to be there. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, just to finish off, I suppose, like. Where would Ben White? Would he be too, would he be too early for it as well? Ben White is totally and utterly forgettable for me. 
he's a wannabe Leah Williamson and I'm not fully convinced by Ben White and okay. uh, I know our you know defensive structure is you know look at you're probably looking at me going what the fuck are you thinking um like look at how well he's doing but I just look I'm just not fully convinced I just feel like there's there's something there that we haven't discovered yet um okay. but yeah uh just to finish up my point on Aubameyang is that um I think I, d- I do think his performances and his form are linked to his ill health last year and okay. ill health physically with the malaria and mm. mentally he went through what is not really been reported but like quite tough family situations mm. and um like people look and they're like oh that was last year it's, it's still this calendar year it was last season in football but going through something that's quite catastrophic for your mental health like that doesn't just go away very quickly and I do feel there's I do have leeway for him being out of form on the pitch because people talk about like oh it was all that stuff was last year it was like well Mm -hmm. calendar year it's still the same year so you know I'm gonna give a little I'm not completely absolving him of any like I'm saying he should have better form he he is on such high money yes he should have better form but people are very much quick to jump on it he's given up he doesn't care mm. um and I was kind of sticking up for him like you know because like look he's had this tough year like Jesus Christ imagine this happened to you and you had malaria he's probably not fully over the malaria like that takes a long time to recover from physically like Jesus yeah um but then it's like oh well actually he's just gone against the club's wishes and completely broken protocol and yeah he's been very fucking selfish and you can't have that you can't be selfish as a captain in that term in that way you can't do those things and again it's going to be family related he was traveling home to see his family and people are going to look at that and like absolutely if the club have given you special dispensation to do that don't throw it back in their fucking face yeah i agree yeah um, um yeah. yeah that 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 is my cod um i just think it's just it whatever about you know ruining the captaincy for yourself but putting arsenal in the position where there's a power vacancy um yeah. it's just it could derail our season now at the minute the two matches in it hasn't mm. it could though and put, like yeah. as a captain why would you like how I, I I don't understand the mentality that you would put your season your team season at jeopardy like that. I get you. I I understand where you're coming from. And see, um, and see. <laughs> so uh, I I am going a, a very different way with my card uh, this time out because now granted this is a week or two uh, in the in the making, but uh, I saw I bring it up anyway. And um, I want to talk about the Ballon d'Or, uh, just generally as a, as an award. So for those initiated, the Ballon d'Or is kind of like greatly coveted prize for essentially celebrating the best footballer um, f- from everything this se- uh, this past season. Again, typically it is meant to be uh, 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 for men and women, but it's mostly the men game. I think there are, I, I know there's a women's equivalent of a, of a, of a Ballon d'Or now, but like uh, previously there wasn't. Yeah. And now you have like FIFA the best and all this sort of stuff that's kind of like basically FIFA not happy with, with how Ballon d'Or is, is, is issued and they basically just made their own. Because, I mean, why not, I suppose. But I wanted to mention it because, uh, again, because it has that kind of name uh, quality to it, it kind of has that reputation to uphold as, like, who is the best footballer in the world. And the last couple of years, it's been in Lionel Messi. And 
And this year they gave it to Lionel Messi again. Um, but the yeah, the, he's had a great season, Jonathan. I don't understand why you're so annoyed at this. Uh, fucking horseshit. Um, now the difference <laughs> is like, they have, now, now, like I said, when I when I when we say the criteria for the Ballon d'Or, it is the best player for both club and country. It is a combined vote, basically. Um, so it's a case of like what they done in on the club form, and they basically add the two together, and who's been the best performer overall. So uh, the reason I have an issue with the Ballon d'Or this year in particular is that. If you're looking at all of club football, there's only two real names you can say have been the best players in the world. That'd be Robert Lewandowski and Mohamed Salah, right? Now, the difference with Lewandowski is, again, if you're looking by the club and country criteria, Poland have been an absolutely terrible team. For the players that they do have in it, again, they have a, a few minor leaders, but a few like very good, solid players. They should not be in the kind of quagmire they're in. But whenever they rock up to the Euros or whatever the Nations League, they're perennially losing games. And they shouldn't be the case for a team that has the best striker in the world on their books. And I still and I do believe that. I think Lewandowski is the best goal scorer that's out there. Yeah. 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 Now compare that with like with Mo Salah, for example, who again is like marauding the Premier League by himself. He is the top goal scorer by a factor of seven. Like like Jamie Vardy is like eight goals, but like like Salah is is essentially outscoring him by a factor of two. That's how good he has been this year. The trouble is, he has not been able to play games for Egypt because there have been no games. Yeah, <laughs> the African Cup of Nations is happening in January. And that was a long protracted affair about is it happening in the summer? Is it happening now? And they delayed it until January for to basically keep it to their like regularly like like uh, traditionally scheduled like uh, January slots. And essentially, that has been like because it's now being completely disregarded. And the fact that Egypt have not magically just appeared in Europe and won games, that whole part of his like scoring is disregarded. So it meant that like Saleh, even though he is like a world beater at club level, because his country has not played games, he's ranked seventh best. When in reality, if if it was if he was a if he was registered in Europe or in South America, he'd be number one. Because yeah. in like they had the Copper America, which happened, and you had the Euros on this year. The fact that the Cup of Nations wasn't on, I think, is a bit unfair on the on the whole ranking system, personally. You know. And again, that's just the nature of the of the award in a sense. But the fact that you cannot recognize that, you can't acknowledge the fact that this person has been so much better than these players. And at this rate, I think let Messi is now just a really lazy appointment for Ballon d'Or. Because you cannot look at how he's played for Barcelona and PSG and tell me he has been good. Barcelona have been on fire around him. Not literally like as in like good form, no, literally burning, like literally like fucking Joan Dark in the place around. Literally on fire. And then PSG, he has been outscored by fucking like who else who has been outscored by in the Premier League? Like fucking like um I saw a crazy start of someone um outscoring him and it's completely like dropped my mind. I think actually like the likes of Origi have outscored him in the league. And that's ludicrous Jeez, to say. Like that's yeah, you that's know. horrendous. Timo Werner, that's who it was. Timo Werner, who has been perennially a laughing stock when it comes to his finishing, is scoring more league goals than, than uh, Messi this season. That is how bad he has been from Barcelona to PSG. But literally the only reason he won the Copa America was because he finally, and again, keyword there is finally, won the Copa America. Not the fact that Argentina, as a team, yeah, as a team won the Copa America. It was because no, Messi it, it, single-handedly yeah. took on all of South America at once, Jonathan. Yes, 
all of it. He was the, he was there like fucking Braveheart in the kilt. Whereas if you ever, if you if anyone with a, like any form of journalistic integrity could tell you that Messi didn't win the Copa America, Emmy Martinez won the Copa America because Argentina's all problem had for decades has been a lack of a goalkeeper. They have had like Augustan Orion, who was like 50 years old, still in the squad, and Willy Cavallero, who's still in the squad and is at 40. Those are the two goalkeepers they've been like, like, like using as crutches for decades until Emmy Martinez arrived and became the player he is now. So the fact that like now you suddenly have someone who was actually able to save footballs from going into the goal, you know, which means all the hard work from your front three, which is Messi and friends, apparently. Um, they're able to win a Copper America. Messi, a, a Messi and, and others. And others, yes. Like, you know, people like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, Lutero Martinez and you know, Celso. And, uh, nah, details. No, no one gives a fuck. It's only Messi. Aguero! Well, not anymore. Uh, <laughs> he was there for the Copper America. He was there for the Copper America, exactly. No, I'm being facetious. But, like, but even then, like, you have, like, give the credit where credit is due and Messi does not deserve the credit this year no no, no and I, I do agree I do agree you know, with you. if anyone the person that should have won the Ballon d'Or this year if you're going by club and country the, again there hasn't been a great example I think that's probably why Messi has won because it was it was quite a weak field this year um, because again you can make arguments well Karen Benzema was great for Real Madrid but France were knocked out in the round of 16 okay fair enough that knocks them out Lewandowski didn't even appear in the Euros so that's fair enough Salah again I mentioned too but really the real winner the person that's done the best is Gianluigi Donnarumma you know yeah. AC Milan who were challenging for Serie A I think they finished third if I'm not mistaken or fourth in a very close race to be fair they only fell off, fell off right at the end and he like essentially like won the game on penalties. Now again, unfortunately, Jorginho is the kind of the best of both worlds in that sense, where he won the Champions League for Chelsea and yeah, he, he won the Euros in Italy. Euros, but let's be yeah. fair here, Jorginho was a passenger in both teams. So yeah, all he did was that doesn't make sense. Because, yeah, he's a penalty margin, and I and I get that. That, and that is very, very evident when you do see like how when you, when you see the Ballon d'Or like scoring explained to you of like club first country and then Jorginho is seen as number three. Then you see how completely pointless the award is because it's not then about like who the best player is. It's about who has scored the most points. And is that really what the best player of the award should be? Isn't that what now you can see why FIFA have put out their own awards because they know that this whole system is completely flawed. Like, literally, it could be the case of, like, literally recognising by class who the best player is in the world. And it could go to the likes of Salah or it could go to Lewandowski. I personally think, again, totally biased here, but I think Salah has been the best player, at least in this half of the season. I can't think of anyone else in the world who has shown the best form that he has in any league, in any format. Like, that is, like, that, that is superhuman form. That is a form, we, like, people have been wanking themselves silly over for Ronaldo and Messi for years. And you cannot yeah. tell me now that, like, he is not at the same level. He's past that. He's better than those two now at, the, at this moment in time. But, again, this is Sarah Graves from, like, again, not getting that award. But it's also really exposing the fact that the award doesn't actually mean anything anymore. It is a case of, like, it's, it's lazy kind of, like, uh, scoring of points between... Uh, players who like and, and maybe it's a current trend where like you now have players from countries who don't like well on the world stage because again like uh, like a world cup only comes around for uh, like uh, four years at a time and african teams perennially don't do really well at world cups 
you know yeah like the, the, the closest i can think of is um is the ivory coast they were quarter finalists i think that's the closest anyone's gone to in a long time since cameroon in the, in the 90s so mm. that is an issue that's an issue for the for the ballon d'or to sort out themselves to give african countries different territories a chance if a world-class player from japan comes along for example like does he get better like scoring because it's a weaker field or is it proportionate and that type of deal that's that's what they have to work out themselves like it has to be sensible because when you have like a a color i kind of like a colorblind scoring like that as I, as I call it you end up with Jorginho as your third best player because he won big competitions for both teams you know kind of way it's like saying like john great example right dejan lovren right in the same year he appeared in the euro finals and the champions league final how come he's not third in the world you know yeah like that's that is literally the same logic that Jorginho got to number three, you know, and and the only reason was because he's a captain. Of, he's a captain of Chelsea, or he was captain for some Italian team uh, matches. So, like, tell me that the logic doesn't hold up for both players there, you know? Um, and like I said, it is total sour grapes for for not giving the, the award to Salah because tell me he doesn't deserve that award <laughs> based off his form. Yeah, no, no, I do agree. Like, as much as Salah's a thorn in my side as. Um... In everyone's side, opposite. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Like, Messi, like, winning that was absolutely like it. The entertainment value came from watching everyone actually have a complete and utter meltdown at it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I would absolutely agree with you that the Ballon d'Or is a god, but mm-hmm. we don't have anyone to vote on this. No. As no, we just have to agree with each other, I'm afraid. Um, yep. Because uh, Lord knows we like that when that happens. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, unfortunately, that is uh, the end of the show. Unfortunately, Neil couldn't join us because his dad, Judy, has got the better of him in the end. Um, uh, I'm not sure who won in the fight, but I presume his two children did. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he will be back. It, the kids always win, you're right. Um, but he will be back for the next show, I'm sure. Um, we may do one over Christmas to keep his uh, tied over because, again, there is a yeah, lot of football. There, the there could be weeks. a lot of football or a lot of cancellations. Could be. If not, we'll have something to talk about. Because it, it put it, if it's more cancellations, there's more time for you two to talk about stationery. So you tell me if that's a bad deal. That's true. Um, just as we've been talking, Chelsea's women's match has been postponed. Um, yes. As they seen. have loads of cases since they're two during the week. So, hmm. yeah, that might uh, have further repercussions there. Indeed it will. This has been fun being awake. For a yeah, it's, it's nice to one. talk to you about football again, like you know, yeah. without it being like just snoring. Basically, it's nice, you know. Yeah. Um, let's make a habit of it, maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but until then, until the next episode, guys, thank you very much for listening to this one. Uh, as ever, you can listen to all of our uh, podcasts on our Spotify. Uh, just give us a follow there, and you'll be let know of any episodes that come up. Uh, particularly if you show if you follow us uh, on Twitter or Facebook at Monday Madness LP, and by all means subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can hear all of us all the time playing video games and doing great loads of other stuff. We just recently reached uh, two thousand subscribers, so thank you very much, Indian Sex Pest, for your service and um, to, uh, to to our traffic. Appreciate it. We really do appreciate it, and um, like the the video you keep clicking on will reach a million tomorrow, and uh, that's scary. That's pretty fucking yep. scary. Um, but nevertheless, lads, thank you very much for, for listening to us either way. Uh, Burkbot, thank you for joining us for this episode. Um, yeah, good talking I'm to going you off to sleep. Yeah, that you are. It is way past your bedtime. Um, yep. and, and all of that conversation that you just heard, folks, has all been liquid football. So happy Christmas. Woo!
do you have any kind of Christmas wishes for our Indian Sex Fest friends, or are you happy to just end the podcast now? Yeah, just end it.